An Artifice by Guy de Maupassant This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson The old doctor sat by the fireside, talking to his fair patient, who was lying on the lounge. There was nothing much the matter with her, except that she had one of those little feminine ailments from which pretty women frequently suffer, slight anemia, a nervous attack, etc. No, doctor, she said, I shall never be able to understand a woman deceiving her husband, even allowing that she does not love him, that she pays no heed to her vows and promises, how can she give herself to another man? How can she conceal the intrigue from other people's eyes? How can it be possible to love amid lies and treason? The doctor smiled and replied, It is perfectly easy, and I can assure you that a woman does not think of all those little subtle details when she has made up her mind to go astray. As for dissimulation, all women have plenty of it, on hand for such occasions, and the simplest of them are wonderful, and extricate themselves from the greatest dilemmas in a remarkable manner. The young woman, however, seemed incredulous. No, doctor, she said, no one thinks until after it has happened of what one ought to have done in a critical situation, and women are certainly more liable than men to lose their head on such occasions. The doctor raised his hands, after it has happened, you say, now I will tell you something that happened to one of my female patients, whom I always considered an immaculate woman. It happened in a provincial town, and one night when I was asleep, in that deep first sleep from which it is so difficult to rouse us, it seemed to me in my dreams as if the bells in the town were sounding a fire alarm, and I woke up with a start. It was my own bell which was ringing wildly, and as my footman did not seem to be answering the door, I, in turn, pulled the bell at the head of my bed, and soon I heard a banging and steps in the silent house, when Jean came into my room and handed me a letter which said, Madame Le Livre begs Dr. Simeon to come to her immediately. I thought for a few moments, and then I said to myself, a nervous attack, vapours, nonsense i'm too tired and so i replied as dr simeon is not at all well he must beg madame le livre to be kind enough to call in his colleague monsieur bonnet i put the note into an envelope and went to sleep again but about half an hour later the street bell rang again and jean came to me and said there is somebody downstairs i do not quite know whether it's a man or a woman as the individual is so wrapped up, but they wish to speak to you immediately. They say it is a matter of life and death for two people, whereupon I sat up in bed and told him to show the person in. A kind of black phantom appeared and raised a veil as soon as Jean had left the room. It was Madame Berthe de Livre, quite a young woman, who had been married for three years to a large merchant in the town, who was said to have married the prettiest girl in the neighbourhood. She was terribly pale. Her face was contracted as the faces of insane people are, occasionally, and her hands trembled violently. 
Twice she tried to speak without being able to utter a sound, but at last she stammered out, Come, quick, quick, doctor, come, my friend has just died in my bedroom. She stopped, half suffocated with emotion, and then went on, My husband will be coming home from the club very soon. I jumped out of bed without even considering that I was only in my nightshirt, and dressed myself in a few moments, and then I said, "'Did you come a short time ago?' "'No,' she said, standing like a statue petrified with horror. "'It was my servant. She knows.' And then, after a short silence, she went on, "'I was there, by his side,' and she uttered a sort of cry of horror, and after a bit of choking which made her gasp, she wept violently and shook with spasmodic sobs for a minute or two. Then her tears suddenly ceased as if by an internal fire, and with an air of tragic calmness, she said, Let us make haste. I was ready, but exclaimed, I quite forgot to order my carriage. I have one, she said. It is his which was waiting for him. She wrapped herself up so as to completely conceal her face, and we started. When she was by my side in the carriage, she suddenly seized my hand, and crushing it in her delicate fingers, she said, with a shaking voice that proceeded from a distracted heart, "'Oh, if you only knew, if you only knew what I'm suffering!' I loved him, I have loved him distractedly like a madwoman for the last six months. "'Is anyone up in your house?' I asked. "'No, nobody except those who knows everything.' We stopped at the door, and evidently everybody was asleep. We went in without making any noise, by means of her latchkey, and walked upstairs on tiptoe. The frightened servant was sitting on the top of the stairs, with a lighted candle by her side, as she was afraid to remain with the dead man, and I went into the room, which was in a great disorder. Wet towels, with which they had bathed the young man's temples, were lying on the floor, by the side of a washbasin and a glass, while a strong smell of vinegar pervaded the room. The dead man's body was lying at full length in the middle of the room, and I went up to it, looked at it, and touched it. I opened the eyes and felt the hands, and then, turning to the two women, who were shaking as if they were freezing, I said to them, "'Help me to lift him on to the bed.' When we had laid him gently on it, I listened to his heart and put a looking-glass to his lips, and then said, It is all over. It was a terrible sight. I looked at the man and said, You ought to arrange his hair a little. The girl went and brought her mistress's comb and brush, but as she was trembling and pulling out his long matted hair in doing it, Madame Le Livre took the comb out of her hand and arranged his hair as if she were caressing him. She parted it, brushed his beard, rolled his moustaches gently around her fingers. Then, suddenly letting go of his hair, she took the dead man's inert head in her hands and looked for a long time in despair at the dead man's face, which no longer could smile at her. And then, throwing herself on him, she clasped him in her arms and kissed him ardently. Her kisses fell like blows on his closed mouth and eyes, his forehead and temples and then, putting her lips to his ear, as if he could still hear her, and as if she were about to whisper something to him, she said several times, in a heart-rending voice, "'Good-bye, my darling.' Just then the clock struck twelve, and I started up. Twelve o'clock, I exclaimed. "'That is the time when the club closes. Come, madame, we have not a moment to lose.' 
She started up, and I said, We must carry him into the drawing-room. And when we had done this, I placed him on a sofa and lit the chandeliers, and just then the front door was opened and shut noisily. Rose, bring me the basin and the towels, and make the room look tidy. Make haste, for heaven's sake. Monsieur Le Livre is coming in. I heard his steps on the stairs, and then his hands feeling along the walls. Come here, my dear fellow, I said. We have had an accident. And the astonished husband appeared at the door with a cigar in his mouth, and said, What is the matter? What is the meaning of this? My dear friend, I said, going up to him, you find us in great embarrassment. I had remained late, chatting with your wife and our friend, who had brought me in his carriage, when he suddenly fainted, and in spite of all we have done, he has remained unconscious for two hours. I did not like to call in strangers, and if you will now help me downstairs with him, I shall be able to attend to him better at his own house. The husband, who was surprised but quite unsuspicious, took off his hat, and then he took his rival, who would be quite inoffensive for the future, under the arms, and I got between his two legs, as if I had been a horse between the shafts, and we went downstairs, while his wife held a light for us. When we got outside, I stood the body up so as to deceive the coachman, and said, "'Come, my friend, it is nothing. You feel better already, I expect. Pluck up your courage and make an effort. It will soon be over.' But as I felt that he was slipping out of my hands, I gave him a slap on the shoulder, which sent him forward and made him fall into the carriage, and then I got in after him. Monsieur Lelevre, who was rather alarmed, said to me, "'Do you think it is anything serious?' To which I replied, "'No,' with a smile, as I looked at his wife, who had put her arm into that of her husband, and was trying to see into the carriage. I shook hands with them and told my coachman to start, and during the whole drive the dead man kept falling against me. When we got to his house I said that he had become unconscious on the way home, and helped to carry him upstairs, where I certified that he was dead, and acted another comedy to his distracted family. And at last I got back to bed, not without swearing at lovers. The doctor ceased, though he was still smiling, and the young woman, who was in a very nervous state, said, "'Why have you told me that terrible story?' He gave her a gallant bow, and replied, "'So that I might offer you my services if they should be needed.'" End of An Artifice by Guy de Maupassant Recording by Peter Tomlinson